The year was 1870. A pioneer by the name of Charlie Cusker. Wait, is that right? Charlie Cluster? Don't offend him. Don't get, okay. don't get the wrong Cluster. <laughs> a pioneer by the name of Charlie Cluster trudges across the Mojave Desert. The wind and sand biting at his face. The sun beating down on him. Water's running low. Death is looming on the horizon, vultures circling overhead. But then, in the distance, is it a mirage? Is the desert heat finally getting to him? No, it's true. He's found what he's looking for. He approaches the galleon. Yes, a Spanish galleon from the 1600s, surrounded by nothing but hundreds of miles of sand and desolation. It is, in fact, the treasure he was seeking. Was that the end of it? Uh, hold on. I was just making it up off the no, top no, of my head. No, no, and then he come in, and then, uh, he, he's like, oh, oh I, I, I'm Jack Sparrow, and this is the sixth movie. And he oh, turns, God. And he turns toward the screen and just kind of does, like, a finger point. He's like, I'm drunk. Did you get it? I, um, I'm still charming. What, I'm what, still dub, charming. Dub? What, what, John, jo I'm Johnny Depp. <laughs> 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 I, I just expect. I thought there was going to be more of a story to it. I don't know why. So we just. I was like, oh yeah. I guess. The, I guess that is enough. That is a ship just in the I middle mean, it's, of nowhere. Yeah. It's, isn't that interesting? Isn't that, that is. weird? <laughs> hey guys, welcome wait, back wait. to the twelfth episode of Paranoia Shop. The twelfth actual episode. Right? Yes, the twelfth proper episode. We've, episode proper. We've done some side stuff. We've we've gone over to other podcasts. We've done mini episodes. We've done the things like we experiment with different genres, the way like Dylan experiments with electric. Yeah, and We're everyone back. booed him and hated him for yeah. it. And I assume you do too. You probably hate yeah, us. Yeah, that dirty old man. I saw him play in college. He was terrible. <laughs> he just grunted and everyone left the theater real sad. Yeah. But uh, welcome to Paranoia Shop, your one-stop shop for everything conspiratorial, uh, supernatural, and generally weird. I'm Aaron Waltke, Waltke, Waltke. I never knew that's how you said it. And I'm Chad Quant. Welcome back. Uh, guys, it's been a while. Let's let's catch up on what's been going on. Before we get started, let's do a little housekeeping. No, we're not doing racist Mexican voice. You housekeeping. Keep, you keep it in as is. All right, so since we recorded the last episode, there's been some things going on. Not, that sounds bad. That sounds like we like we like broke up or something. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like the Beatles on the rooftop. No, like, it's really we hate been, each other. It's really been uh, decided to be a real adult and and move in with a significant other. That was me. And I then had this we whole all thing copied, and then, and then everyone in our circle copied me. Aaron's like, "Well, I guess I'll move in with my girlfriend because she's pretty swell." Yeah. And then Kyle, who you might know from LOLJK and being on this podcast. And just being a guy who yells, he decided to move in with his girlfriend. There's just been a lot of moving, a lot of apartments. Life came and just wrecked our shit. Mm -hmm. So we had to take a little bitty hiatus in addition to other things, new jobs. Job, yeah, uh, new Chad, jobs. Chad's now working for a new company. Yeah, I'm working for Frederator now. I guess, I mean, I might show up at the office and might just like not have a, a desk for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, oh you're that guy. Oh, the guy who we hired you was fired. You. Oh, yeah, he was crazy. He didn't actually have any more time here. <laughs> he just keeps coming into the office and using the phones. <laughs> Also on the docket, something that happened since last time, 
I myself uh, was victim of a conspiracy theory. Wait, do Which, I not, do I, not know I told this? you about this. So some of you, if you're Redditors, probably saw this. Oh, um, right, right. Okay, I forgot how so that happened. I stumbled into viral marketing, and successfully so, uh, when my roommate, uh, John, Who's who is an actor. Show. He's been on the show. Episode 3, Russia is Weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may remember him. He's an actor, uh, and he recently had the... Enormous good Enorm- fortune. Enormous blessing of being the face of Shark Week. That's right. He was uh, in the commercial for Shark Week. You pr- you may have seen it if you're a fan of Discovery Channel, where John is riding a shark while hundreds of sharks leap out to uh, some dubstep. It's it's the send-off of the Kanye West like power intro. It's very much like yeah. that whole thing. John was on the face of it, not to cut off your story, and, and Aaron, who is... I mean this with love, the worst at social media <laughs> and spreading anything on like Reddit or something actually like nailed one. He home run it. Yeah, I, it, I literally put it up. I said, hey, my roommate said that uh, he would might be in a commercial discovery. Hey, check this out. And, and it was just that. Yeah. It went viral. It made it to the front page of Reddit. Literally got almost a million views. Yeah, you probably like helped save that campaign. There's probably one guy's like, I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know. Oh, my God, it's working. But one person got it going on Reddit. So if I can, from my interpret from my side, because you obviously saw all of it, nice, big, successful Reddit. Like, it's the right thing that Reddit loves, because you're you're not sharing your own thing, something that you're friends in. Somehow Reddit likes, Reddit likes not people on Reddit themselves succeeding, it seems like, but like... People who whose friends succeed. Oh, my girlfriend made this. What but does you, Reddit think? Yeah, but if you said I made this or I'm in this commercial, I'm like, fuck you. Yeah. So I, I get this on the front page of Reddit, and with all things that are immediately successful overnight, of course, soon the whispers start coming out. How did this happen? Who's behind this? And I was kind of shocked. I was already having a panic attack because I don't know if you've ever had something go viral, but you suddenly become all the, the time. I know what it's like. You become like the. In, the source of intense scrutiny. Everybody is trying to unearth everything about you, who you are, where you came from, what's the deal with you, uh, and that happened to me. And so, at first, it's very positive on Reddit. Everyone's like, oh, awesome, your roommate's awesome, and then suddenly there's like this immense backlash that starts uh, forming, and I'm like, what is happening here? What? And they all start saying, Oh, thanks, Discovery marketing team. We know who you are. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what? I don't work for Discovery. What are you talking And then uh, it, it grows and grows and grows, and soon threads are popping up uh, trying to unearth my identity. And there were whole things like like going through my entire like internet history and saying, mm-hmm. picking out select phrases. At some other point, you ever said, like, I like sharks. And yeah. that was just the thing. And, and, and they're like, see, obviously, it's the, he's from the Discovery Marketing Team. This is just viral marketing. That there's, and there was, at one point, someone had constructed this whole theory that I am obviously Aaron McPherson, the Discovery per- commercial producer. Was it even spelled the same way? I thought it was also something where it was like spelled differently. No, it's spelled the same way, but like <laughs> people were just outright trying to piece together patently false information in this loosely connected web of half-truths and, you know, fakery to make it seem like I was some nefarious marketing agent. Even if it was true, the story would would have still held up on Discovery. I guess there would have been something disingenuous if you had been this person who worked for Discovery. Yeah. If you'd worked for Discovery, running that campaign, you might have cast your friend 
as the guy riding the sharks, that Reddit post would still then be completely legitimate. Unless, yeah. unless what Reddit would be upset about is this guy's not his actual friend. Like that, like the friendship is fake. <laughs> but, and which is even crazier. Like, how do you measure the truth of how friendly you are with a person? And why does that make it suddenly illegitimate? Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, so I and so I start to try to respond to this. I, so I post proof, right? Because that's usually what quiets those things down. Is you post a photo with you know with the guy in the commercial saying like this is really me. And so I put up a photo, and immediately the, the conspiracy guys go, "Oh yeah, one photo that says I am actually his roommate. Yeah, what kind of proof is that?" That and also like, means that if it wasn't real, you like quickly called your actor that you had hired for this and said. Yeah. Shit, everything's unraveling. Quick, meet me at a bar. And then you like ran to a bar and <laughs> pretended to be friends. If you had done that at that point, you got away with it. It's fine. You try like right. you, you made a friend even if you had lied. Yeah. And at one point someone had dug back into my comment history and found like one thing like, oh, he's promoting his own podcast now. Oh, so disingenuous because I promoted Paranoia Shop. Oh, that's right. Which yeah, I yeah. find is ironic. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he has no shame, which of course <laughs> makes no sense. I wonder if we got any new listeners from that Who at knows? all. It'd if be you're listening, if you found this through that Reddit thread, please, please, oh, please send us anything. Send Even us if you anything. think Aaron actually still works for Discovery. Yeah, please write into us at Paranoia Shop. That's S-H-O-P-P-E at gmail.com. Tweet at us at Paranoia Shop. Please, I uh, want to talk to I you. I can't imagine. It's one of those things where like, you think that when you have exposure on a giant like internet stage, it's going to just mean everything for you. Yeah. But if it's not connected to what they're interested in, no one cares. <laughs> nope. It's still good you mentioned the podcast, and I appreciate you shouting it out. It's just going to be like, I get one person probably clicked on and went, eh, fags. And just like, clicked and, like, clicked <laughs> well, there was a part of me where I was like, oh, if I shamelessly self-promote, then maybe it'll dissuade people from thinking <laughs> yeah, that it's Discovery. The, it's like a misdirect. We're like, oh, yeah. I'll promote this other podcast. So then you invented a new podcast <laughs> called, <laughs> called Paranoia Shop. Yeah. Just made it just so you'd seem like another person. Oh, that's and here's, here's the irony of this, by the way, is that if I, I maybe just because I've been doing this podcast and I'm obsessed with these sort of like crazy conspiracies, uh, I if you dug back into my own personal history, like you, if you actually did the research, I actually produced a segment that aired on Discovery Channel years ago when I I entered and won a contest that was called You Spoof Discovery, and you create. Uh, you basically create a fake episode of a, a Discovery Channel show, and if it's good enough, they'll air it on a, a, a special that they did, hosted by Mike Rowe. When was and this? I won. 2007. 2007. So okay. if they had done even a, a cursory research, typed in Good Aaron Discovery, found my name, then typed Aaron Waltke Discovery, they would have found that, and that would have been the nail in the fucking coffin. They would have no been one, like, oh man, that was how he started, and then he reinvented right, himself as exactly. Aaron McPherson. Because I literally was a producer for the Discovery Channel. Oh my god. But no one found it. I and, like how those kind of like loose connections keep building off, just as to compare to it, those titles of you being a producer yeah the same thing going don't mean to hurt anyone's misconceptions a large part of the internet databases regarding the game fallout think i'm an executive producer of the game because <laughs> i worked on the game right in the audio recording section for like several several months 
Definitely was never a producer, but since whatever my title was vague, a bunch of sites have just listed me now as Chad Kwan, executive producer of Creator, original story by. Yeah, just like, or whatever, like, cool, I'm fine with that title. Well, it's, when you were faced between the truth or the legend, print the legend. Okay. Well, anyway. Anyway, sorry. So legend. that was the, the conspiracy that was surrounding me and, and in between our podcast, and I thought I should bring it up because I, I've never been <laughs> that to subjective to scrutiny, and I was like, I want to clear the air. I want to tell everyone what happened, that he really was my roommate who got on Discovery Channel. I think it's died down since then, but I hope this reopens those wounds. I hope so. I, I hope that corporate conspiracy or whatever the hell that is picks this up. It's like, oh, he comes clean. <laughs> and then they edit chunks to make it sound like, yes, I work for Discovery. This episode's subject matter, uh, can't believe we haven't done this yet, because it seems like it kind of fits perfectly into the idea of theories and, and riddles and, and, and spooky stuff. Of uh, mysterious treasures, right? Yep, hidden treasure. Hidden treasures, or mysterious. as I li- or as I like to call it, X go and make mark the spot to you. No, come on, come on. The stories we have for this, I'm very excited to talk about. Well, should we talk ever. about the opening first? Yeah, let's talk about the opening. As you may have surmised from the that opening I gave you off the top of my head with Johnny Depp. With Johnny Depp, that's a real story, believe it or not. Okay, uh, so explain uh, explain what happened. Okay, so there's a hidden treasure in the Mojave Desert, and it's not just some guy went out there and like buried, you know, some a bag of gold or something. This is actually uh, an ocean-going ship that supposedly sunk 160 kilometers, that's 100 miles, inland of the Pacific Ocean. There are millions of dollars worth of pearls just out outside of the Salton Sea here in California. Wait, this is, you're just detailing what was in the treasure that was found at this point? Yes. This okay. is, there's a ship that in the 1600s, the first stories date back to the early 1600s when King Philip of Spain sent a fleet to the western coast of Mexico to dive for pearls. Uh, The group didn't find as many pearls as they thought they would, so when they came across a Native American village that had baskets of the round beauties just lying around, they offered lush European garments in exchange for the scores of pearls. I'm sorry, isn't that like one of the plot points of Indiana Jones 2? That they just use like red stones as like just commonplace tools? You betrayed Kali. Like that's like a very good common like adventure trope of like these gems are worthless to these Aztec people. Well, there's also that that story that the island of Manhattan was traded for just like a a big pearl. Mm. Like, we're like, hey, I found this big pearl, and now we, they have, like, the most valuable land anyway. But anyway, so this is, the Spanish duped the Native Americans after they traded yes. and swapped the pearls for rags Native instead. And so, so they could have just traded their garments, and then they wound up just stealing the pearls and giving them rags in exchange. Why, yeah, why were they ever doing, was it just so that they would be placated? Because it always seemed like the general story was, we'll trade, and then we still just uh, we stole murder anyway. and pillage all of you yeah. anyway. Well, this is in this case, it didn't work out for the, the colonists because the Native Americans were outraged and the tribe attacked the ship as it tried to set sail, wounding the captain who ordered the, the two other ships in the fleet to continue looking for pearls cool, while he escaped. Me. Get cool stones. Yeah. So here it's thought that one of the ships struck a reef and was sunk, but before it completely submerged, the crew ferried all the treasure onto one remaining ship and carried it up on the, the Colorado River and into the Salton Sea where it met its demise. So I don't know if you're familiar with the Salton Sea. No. Have I told you about this before? I don't think so. So the Salton Sea is this really bizarre California feature, and I've actually been there, right? And it's not... Sea is a misnomer, right? Because it's actually just like a big, dry basin. That what occasionally floods? That occasionally floods every, like, you know, 10,000 years or something. And the last one was around 1600. But 
Most recently, beginning of the 1950s, I want to say, uh, a bunch of agriculture accidentally dumped a ton of water that all ran into this basin and formed this lake, right? Okay. And so then, of course, it being the 50s and 60s, they're like, hey, why don't we just market this? And they tried to say, it's like, it's the new ocean. Come oh, form a beach community. Oh, they tried to make like, a fun little like town for Yeah, and so this, like, this vacation spot sprung up. But what they didn't anticipate was with no natural recurring water that was feeding into it, uh, it slowly started to evaporate and yeah. became more and more uh, salinized. Like, it became more salty to the point where... It was uninhabitable and like fumes, like poisonous you just gas. Walk outside and just like be, your skin would melt. Yeah, off fumes of poisonous gas would waft up off of this like death ocean and just sweep <laughs> over these beaches, and you know it became this ghost town of a tourist trap. And so is you it can still there at all. It's still there. That's cool. But I, go there. I I went there. And it is the creepiest, uh, by far the most foreboding, desolate place I've ever so been. So now it's just a desert basin it's in a des- part? It's in California, Southern yeah. California. And, like, the beach, you know how you walk out and there's like, oh, you can find shells, you walk mm-hmm. on sand. The beach is literally made of bones. Like, dead oh bones of fish oh, and birds. Oh, these are humans. Like, oh, Jesus. Maybe humans. Okay. I, I didn't walk that, but like, it's like three and you, you step on it, it's like five inches deep. Your feet sink into bones. You could find a way to like sell that as a new vacation place, though. <laughs> I think it's become like this sort of destination for people who like strange locations. You could locales. sell it to like the hot topic, like Marilyn Manson crowd. Of, yeah. Like, get your summer vacation home. It's in the dark, sunny desert. So, yeah. it, so anyway, in this valley of ocean death, there is supposed Supposedly, this ship that in the 1600s, the last time there was a flood, uh, got swept up into the middle of the Mojave Desert and then transplanted with these millions of dollars worth of pearls. And it's become this sort of legend that if you can find the pearls, you will become a millionaire. Oh, so they haven't discovered it. Well, I think you said they found the ship. So here's the thing. In 1870, uh, the Los Angeles Star reported that Charlie Klusker and a party started out again this morning to find the mythical ship upon the desert this side of Dos Palmas. Charlie made the trip three or four weeks ago, but made the wrong shoot and mired his wagon 15 miles from Dos Palmas. He's satisfied from information received that the Indians that the ship is no myth. Uh, He's prepared with a good wagon, pack saddles, and planks to cross the sandy ground. And then on December 1st, that same year, the San Bernardino Guardian stated that Charlie Klusker and party returned from the desert yesterday just as we were going to press. They had a hard time of it, but they have succeeded in their effort. The ship has been found. Charlie returns to the desert today to reap the fruition of his labors. He was without food or water under a hot broiling sun for over 24 hours and came near perishing. Wait, what guy finds a ship full of treasure and then, like, clocks back in for work the next day at 8 a.m.? Well, like, I, I think, don't want to let you guys hang Well, I think he found it and then was like, we don't have, like, I almost died finding this. We don't have the means to, to get all these pearls back. So he comes back, says he found it, and is about to go back out. So he, along with his party... He goes back out to this ornately carved Spanish galleon that he found in the Mojave. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but then not much longer after his expedition to collect the abandoned loot, much like the elusive ship, he was never seen again. Oh, so he did he ever show proof at all? Like, he never showed, like, no. I have... Uh, you, would, you would think he would grab, like, a handful of pearls? 
You'd think so. Maybe he had a, a gold coin. I mean, let's be real here. This is this part of journalism. The, talking about the history of journalism. This is all about like sensationalism. This was yellow rag, what year was yellow this? journalism, eighteen seventies. Oh yeah, yeah. You just started to say things like monkeys can fly sometimes if you're enough of a sinner. <laughs> local, like, local scientists weigh souls. God, God was found. We killed him. <laughs> uh, so, sort of- so he was never seen again, and and the, it's thought that erosion may have covered the ship up. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's gone forever. So supposedly somewhere here in Southern California, in the middle of the desert, there's still this Spanish galleon filled with millions of dollars of pearls. Do you have any pearls. idea of how big the basin area is? Like, just even could be that it would be under, is it like 100 square miles? Like, Well, it's 100 miles inland. That's what people suspect. But, okay. you know, the Mojave is a very large place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, there's so much sand being blown around, it could be anywhere, really. Okay. Like, the, 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 the basin itself is pretty large. And that is some real though. That is some that is some Pirates of the Caribbean stuff. That oh, absolutely! Like the perfect way, and they have like the reveal like halfway through the movie, where they're like we can't find this ship anywhere. And then again, because I want to keep doing awesome Jack Sparrow impressions, like no love, it's not in the water. It's that's it's in the mountains. I don't know if you came. You became like Werner Herzog. Uh, it's in the mountains. It's in the mountain, nature, nature. In nature. In grizzly man. <laughs> Uh, sorry. In the harsh realities all right, of nature. All right, so there's been no further discoveries of it. No, is but there, legend has it, these pearls still await the weary traveler. Is it attached at all to the legend of, like, if you go to this, you know, salt ghost town where there's just bones everywhere, is there, like, a tourism guy? Is like, follow me and maybe you'll find that pirate ship, and too. Then it, and then as you're following him, he just goes, you are dead here, and vanishes. <laughs> <laughs> he was a ghost! Half the time someone finds the ship, he's like, Damn it, and just has to kill them. Pile of bones. Yeah, it just adds them to the bones, just kind of sprinkles them in with the birds. <laughs> no one finds them. So I thought that was pretty that's cool. Pretty, pretty and cool. it's like within distance, like let's you go. and I could actually let's go. go. Let's go. And let's do go. Let's go die in the desert. Well, no, we'll bring a camel back. Like, that's all. Here's <laughs> all of these stories, and this is the next one uh, I want to talk about. All seem to revolve around man, if you just had some modern technology, we have this figured out, all right? Like, even now, like, we could really just, you know, kind of slowly comb comb the desert and just go over with a metal detector and you would find something you would think but it's so much space like you would have to it'd be so so much are we doing we got like all this like extra you would spend you would spend 80 million dollars to find a three million dollar treasure okay all right that is the perfect segue into what i want to talk about okay as far as wasting tons of money to find other treasure that is the saddest irony over a lot of these these stories yeah uh my story that I wanted to talk about, one of my favorite things ever, read this originally in, like, Rolling Stone. See, kids, Rolling Stone is still a magazine, I guess. I haven't seen it for a while. I assume it's still publishing. It's around. It's still around. It's used now basically be, Entertainment Weekly. Rolling Stone used to be the thing where, like, oh, we got the super hot musician to do, like, a naked pictorial. Like, that Britney Spears cover she did when her career first came out, that was... Chad's puberty started right there. There's an article in, in Rolling Stone in the uh, mid-90s, uh, and it still tells us stuff about Oak Island. Oh, yeah. I love Oak Island. Okay, so you already know Oak Island. You had to know Oak Island, because I'm sure I'll talk to you about it. So I'll just tell it to you guys. Uh, Oak Island is the best treasure story with people just continually trying to find something that they know is basically there. Yep. So Oak Island, uh, very small little place. 
Uh, actually, let me just in go Canada, over. Canada, right? Yes, it's in Canada. So Yar. Canada mysteries Yar. are the best mysteries. Yar, there be Canadian pirates yeah, here. Yeah, I had to break Yar. down. There is a long breakdown of, oh, oh, don't you know there, uh, we got a treasure, eh? Like that kind of. <laughs> there be pirates up here, eh? So Oak Island is spanning essentially like 200 years at this point, as far as the legend of Oak Island. Yeah. And people continually go to this place pretty sure there is treasure. And I, I, there has to be something, right? So the main thing is it starts in like the late 1700s as far as uh, a few kids just kind of happen to notice there's like some unnatural man-made spots on this small island. Like, like mounds. Yeah, mounds or some kind of like, you know, flagstones. Uh, and they start, uh, it's, it actually starts with a man named Daniel McGinnis or McInnis. Never seems, no one seems to know exactly. Terry that. McGinnis. Terry, it's Terry McGinnis. It's, yeah, it's Batman Beyond. Yeah. Uh, and they start digging this area where there's a lot of, I was like, clear markings. And as they keep going farther and farther, they'll find, like, flagstones. So, like, you dig a little bit deeper, you see, like, a mark of rocks, which would not be natural yeah. at all. Ten feet further, started finding this tier of rotten oak logs. So there's no treasure map. This is clearly just say, like, this is a strange spot. Something seems to have been hidden here or marked here. Right. And as you dug deeper and deeper, you started finding more and more weird tiers of man-made stuff. Usually, like, uh, you dig ten more feet. And that's also the fact that it was always ten feet intervals you would find more and more man-made construction. So it's actually just a really cool archaeological site. Yeah, oh man, it's like, if you want to be an archaeologist, this is like, the thing. Yeah. Because usually it's like, dig forever and you find one thing. This is like, you keep getting new levels of stuff. Right. So every 10 feet, you go farther and farther, and you'd see like, rotten oak logs, or more stones, uh, and, and dig deeper and deeper. But basically, like, in the 1700s, when they first found it, they're like, that's kind of strange. But people on the island were already like, oh, there's probably ghosts or something, you should leave that alone. So they had to, <laughs> they had to let it be. This is a main theme of, the, of Oak Island, is that people keep coming back to it every 10 or 20 years, thinking, like, now we have it. Right. Now we got to figure so, it out. So the legend is that the area was, like, a pirate cove at that some That has point, been right? the most popular theory, that this was, like, used by pirates. Yeah, Captain Kidd, specifically. I yes, think. which has been disproved more and more as, I guess, details about Captain Kidd's, like, where he was and that sort of yeah. thing. But it's super cool. But that's Captain, that's Captain the Kidd's. lore, is that this, this was a pirate cove, and Captain Kidd, the notorious buccaneer... Uh, had left stashes, his big treasure trove, yep. on Oak Island. And that had already been around in the late 1700s, was people already saying it was a pirate cove. Uh, around 10 years later, uh, another group of people joined uh, the same original McGinnis and more and more people like business. There's always businessmen. There's always like a couple dudes and business guys. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this seems like a good business venture. Yeah, yeah. From the town of Onslow, create a treasure hunting consortium called the Onslow Company. So they're starting like early 1800s, like 1800, 1803. Uh, but it's also people sometimes say like 1810. Anyway, early 1800s. Uh, and they keep digging more and more and keep finding these intervals of stuff in this spot. But no gold. No gold. Though, they keep going. So like they'll find like 10 feet. They'll find oak platforms. Then like a layer of like clay or charcoal or like coconut husks, which shouldn't be underground unless people intentionally buried them. Yeah. So you're finding layers of stuff that shouldn't just be there. Then uh, at 90 feet, allegedly... They supposedly found a flat stone bearing an indecipherable inscription. So there's like like a zodiac key yeah. stone, like and no one knows it was ever figured out what it means. Soon after they found that probing with a crowbar, they struck something hard, possibly a wooden chest, but discontinued for the evening. So they're like <laughs> they they like like we found it. It's here. Alright, let's all take a nap. Alright. And this is where it's Oak, gone. and this is where Oak Island just starts becoming like the biggest asshole. 
The next morning, <laughs> they wake up, and the shaft they had dug, which is now probably like 90 feet deep, had flooded with water. Womp womp. No rain. It just like water had mysteriously filled it. So, so pi- pirates came in in the night with yeah. little buckets <laughs> of water. Like, they won't fight me, treasure. Well, an, old, an old neighbor just came in with a hose. Like, I'll show them. I'll show them. So they keep trying to start bailing out the, the tunnel with water and find the level stays the same. So it's not just that there was a pile. Something is plen- uh, Something is adding water to this tunnel. So there's probably some sort of pirate trap. Yeah, so this whole thing, this whole tunnel is pirate traps. That's the most amazing thing. So they keep trying to bypass the water. They know there's clearly something they had triggered that started filling it. They had just taken the stupid chest. They could have just taken it right then. Or something would have been there and some sort of clue. But that that was enough time for the you know this pirate trap to fill with water, and they were never able to get the water level to go down enough to get. Again, it's like early 1800s. They don't have like scuba equipment. Yeah, they're just like guys who can poke their heads underwater and hope they can see something. They swim as far as they and it's can just go. sand and mud and clay, and they're not going to see anything for yeah. it. Uh, the next year, the men come back and try to bypass the water by digging a parallel shaft. That seems to happen a lot. A lot. They keep thinking like, oh, we figured out this trap, so they dig an- another shaft going down in attempts to basically like either get to the treasure or bypass the water trap. Right. And again, the shaft fills with water. So the Onslow company just ends. They're like, well, we wasted all of our lives. Yeah, yeah. So these guys are just like, yeah, that's the sad thing. So many of these men are throwing their lives away <laughs> to, to Oak Island. So the cash just lays dormant. Like old men, just they just came old and like, yeah, there was that time we almost found treasure. Just let it go. <laughs> Until, Time to die. Until 1849, another group called the Truro Company re-excavated the original shaft. When they encountered the water like they were expecting, the workers then set up a platform in the pit and used a hand-operated auger to drill and remove cores of material. So not trying to remove the water as much as just, just see what's get samples. There. They found clay, bits of wood, and three links of gold chain, which is the what? whole thing of like, oh, we found some buried treasure or something. Again... I guess people could have just been lying, but they found this. And this so, is what, if they hadn't found that gold chain, they probably would have given. They up. probably would have given up. But like, okay, they were like, "Oh, we just did a core sample yeah. of fucking treasure." Yeah, yeah. So they keep digging new shafts. Again, they all just keep getting filled with water. This is in the middle of the island, in the Canadian wilderness. Yeah, this shouldn't be like. It's not like it's just near the shore where, like, I guess there would just be like a little underground river. They keep finding tunnels that fill with water. Uh, the operation continued all the way up till 1862, during which time a workman was scalded to death by a ruptured boiler. So Oak Island takes its first, first victim. <laughs> They've now gotten nothing but three gold links and, and a dead man. Millions of dollars. And a father was who was burned to death by a, a ruptured boiler. Uh, so the Oak Island Association followed and attempted to intersect the tunnel. So this is where they're really trying to cut it off, fed with water to the pit. When they went down to 120 foot, they missed. Another tunnel was sunk, and then reportedly a three by four foot tunnel was extended about 18 feet to the Money Pit. So now the tunnel, the pit is being called the Money Pit. Yeah, it's now called the Oak Island Money Pit. Which is, the, I mean, I think at that point Money Pit still meant something you sink a bunch of money into that isn't worth it. But it's also, also a pit a that gra- may have money in it. Also a great Tom Hanks movie, very very good about a yeah. man trying to build a house that keeps collapsing. Yep. Uh, again, water keeps coming in again and again, which is kind of scary to think about these like all these like underground tunnels and like weird little piping and yeah. somehow pirates having like a better understanding of modern day oh, plumbing than like we do. <laughs> Hydrodynamics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yar, the pressure files need be yeah. adjusting. So as the water's coming in, they try to just bail it all out, and then the loud crash, uh, the money pit collapse completely. So they start digging, and the money pit just completely sinks in. 
uh, so people start theorizing that maybe like the chest that they have not seen since someone initially saw it 50 years ago had just fallen deeper into it and that the pit may have had more booby traps to basically cave in. I believe that. I think sure. it's easier to have like a pit that collapses rather than has mysterious water tunnels. Another association tries in 1866 gets nothing. So another failed business venture. It's like That's one insane. Way. Can I just say like the thing that the, the pirates would care that much? To well, this sure is no yeah, and, and this is what it is. Every because of how crazy the defenses is for Oak Island, the fact that we still can't get to it, yeah, makes everyone. Yeah, spoilers. No one's figured out what's in Oak Island, uh, but there's crazier, more attempts at getting at it makes people start to believe that uh, some of the things have been like the Holy Grail or like the lost French jewels, like all of these like major artifacts. Yeah. People start the to Ark like, well, of the Covenant. Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant Canadian because Island. something has to be proportional to the amount of traps that are possibly in here. It can't just be like some gold coins. It has to be right. something really, really good. Some magical artifact. Yeah. Uh, so as they start digging into the tunnel, uh, they like drill and they're dynamite. People are blowing up this island at this point. <laughs> Destroying it. Yeah. Uh, the only thing of interest they get out of all of these just boring into the island is a script of parchment that has two letters on it. Which what? reads like R-I, like re. That's all they think it says. So they found a piece of paper deep down. Well, who knows what the hell that is? Like that could have been from an earlier expedition. <laughs> so they find paper deep down into the deep down into the tunnel. They also found traces of a chalk-like stone or cement. So something that also would feel unnatural in the island. So this is the craziest thing is that Oak Island looks natural, and then everything below it, it just seems like it's made it's an by artificial humans. island. It's like a Truman Show trapped. island. Yeah. Uh, that same year, another guy dies when a worker was being hoisted from one of the pits and the rope slipped from its pulley, plunging him to his death. Oh Two men God. have now died before the 1900s trying to get into Oak Island. Uh, that company runs out of funds. None of these stories ever talk about how like the family... No one ever seems to like, sue these companies. They no, just, they're like, like well, well, he tried. He had a dream. He died doing what he loved. D going in and out of hub, a pit. Going into pirate holes. <laughs> uh, so that company runs out of funds and they like sell all their assets. And so more and more people keep doing searches. Basically, at this point, by the early 1900s, the money pit has been so excavated that all like early kind of landmarks and points of where people had originally digging, no one can tell what it is They're anymore. They were destroyed by It's just been like kind of like like strip mining where it's just been torn apart and there's craters and holes everywhere. Like I don't you don't know. So there's no way to even like start using logic to discern like, well, maybe that was actually supposed to like be assigned a point. Everything's gone. Yeah. Everything's just been completely destroyed. If it was a CSI crime scene, <laughs> it'd be like Law and Order SVU if IC just came in and just like grabbed everything and just started like rolling around on the dirt yeah. to try to find something. And just doing like snow angels in like in the dirt. It's like, so you're saying that I can just make these snow so, angels. So you're saying if I happen to find a knife or something, that's probably a clue. And like, yeah, IC just hanging back, like we're trying to mark everything and just they're destroying this entire crime scene essentially. <laughs> uh People are continually digging nothing, getting no luck at all. More you know water tunnels. Among the centuries worth of people trying to excavate this this supposed pirate cove, uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt was one of the people. Who I did not know it. that, but that yeah. makes perfect sense. Like he used to, he wheeled his wheelchair in there and was like, <laughs> "Build a ramp for me." He stared Build down at the tunnel. He stared down at the tunnel and said, "Come out of there! Come out of there, treasure!" Come out of there, you treasure! <laughs> so while they're getting no luck. Another four people die when a shaft is overcome by swamp gas or engine fumes. They don't seem to know what killed these men. So either yeah. it was a swamp gas trap or bad construction and they killed themselves with their own machinery. Oh, I just found apparently someone supposedly translated that stone tablet. And supposedly it says, 
40 feet below, 2 million pounds lie buried. And that's right. Who knows if that's true? That's probably made up. That's probably made up. A lot of this stuff is that they're also the first, like, you know, 50, 100 years. You had these guys going through and everything's like hearsay. Yeah. Like, the initial stories of the first 10 or 15 feet of things, no one can prove. There was no, like, photographic evidence. So right. it could just be old guys just telling stories. It is pretty crazy that there definitely are man-made levels. Yeah, we're now at mid-1950s. At least six men have died. Six men have been claimed. Three gold chains. Uh, also, but forget this, there's been a ton of other crazy stuff uh, I forgot to mention. This is how much money people are sinking into these. At one point, one of the companies, basically, like, it was getting hard to move the digging equipment to the island, built a bridge from the mainland... To Oak Island. To Oak Island to, like, just transport, like, shipments and, like, <laughs> get the... That's just, like, they're just sinking money. <laughs> Into this they entire thing. They spent $3 million to find maybe $2 million. Yeah, yeah. So we're getting closer to like the modern age. In 1966, a Florida building contractor named Dan Blankenship. None of these guys were like adventurers. They're all just like business dudes. And it's like, I got some extra dough. Who heard about dough? it? Like, yeah, I could get it now. It, this is, I think, what the craziest thing is. It really, again and again, it's that hum- men, is it man, American man, says, oh, that was, those were old guys. I can get it this time. I know what's going on. Yeah, we got we got better drills now. I know the score. Uh, so this guy named Dan Blankenship and another businessman named David Tobias start a new partnership, extensive drilling, doing at least 60 holes all across the island in a year. Wow. They're, so they're just like, I think at this point, they're just like, whatever, we'll find something. Like, they're just digging the entire island into Swiss cheese. They keep going for two more years and get a set of investors called the Trident Alliance, which is very, very, very cool. But there's like infighting <laughs> and there's a stock market crash of 1987. And so the entire operation just falls apart and they've sunk at least like $10 million into it. Wow. So right around when the Wolf of Wall Street starts is yeah. when this is. Yeah, the Wolf of Wall Street ruined Oak Island. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and this point, there had been a small like tourism industry around Oak Island, but once more and more the diggings just stopped, the island has gone into disrepair. So at this point now, it's just kind of sitting around. There's been There's more a bunch of sinkholes. It. Yeah. It's probably dangerous. And it seems like every so, couple of years, another group of people go into it and get nothing. And that was what the uh, 50, 1995 like Rolling Stone article was about. Was basically another group of people going like, "Yeah, I guess we can get it." No one gets it. No one is getting through it. But uh, the list of things, like I said before, is people are starting to things like, I don't know, I guess it could be like Captain Kidd's treasure. It could be like Atlantis. No one has been able to get past this island, but there's definite evidence. No one's disputing that there are like weird man-made levels of traps. Yeah, but it was probably just some weird hermit who lived there, you know, 300 years ago and spent his entire <laughs> life just building weird shit. Interesting aside, apparently the game Assassin's Creed 3 heavily features Oak Island in one of its side missions. I would have picked that up. I played that terrible game. Well, it's in the side mission that you didn't play where you do all the ship missions. Oh, uh, yeah, And yeah. then it unlocks, like, this secret. And it implies that in that extra story mission that the treasure of Captain Kidd is actually an ancient alien artifact that mm-hmm. repels bullets. Oh, oh, is that where that goes? The reason modern-day excavators haven't found it, anything, is because Assassin's Creed Indian guy already found it, and it's a magic <laughs> ring! Really, Assassin's Creed 3 is really bad. It's a really bad That game. was the only part I liked, actually, was oh, that, the ship building uh, that side mission. Oh, no, the ship stuff's great. I just didn't finish that quest, because someone was like, yeah, it just deflects like 20% of the bullets fired at you. I was like, that's yeah. not worth 20 hours of my time. So that was the Oak Island money pit. Six lives claimed, millions Tons spent. Of money, and even now... I want to go there and get it figured out. Like, yeah. I don't even know if anyone's like an engineer or has like a degree in that or is trying to study. I don't know how you would attack the island at this point to get to what's down below there. Also, arguably at this point, 
probably if it was a treasure or anything like that with those traps, those usually meant like, I don't want to keep people from getting to it. It's also that I won't ever get it again either. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to like, it's gone. If someone gets to it before me, no one gets it. Yep. That water and all those floods probably destroyed whatever's ever in there. True. It's it's probably long gone. If but, it's gold coins, right? That chest is like airtight. It's just going to be like evaporated mm-hmm. and eroded at this point. But the mystery remains. <laughs> Uh, speaking of sort of uh, North American-based hidden treasures, mm-hmm. yeah, I so stum- only focus on North America. Well, I no, I have I have a few, but I also have some worldwide stuff for you people. Uh, by the way, we're kind of skipping over. Besides that one ship in the middle of the desert, I kind of skip the ones that are like ships that sank because we already kind of covered that in past episodes and also that that's not a lot of mystery it's around that hook. james cameron's figured out most of them yeah like those are those are real hidden treasures is like ships that had a bunch of gold on them and then they sank we're also skipping that, national treasure well a lot of these feel very national treasury but let, let me just give you this one in 1820 a strange man named thomas j beale ambled into a remote forest cottage looking for a bed for the winter the owner of the cottage one mr robert morris trusted the man and gave him shelter after some time, the two became friends, and as they warmed themselves by the fire, Mr. Beale trusted Morris enough to reveal his greatest secret, a cave of wonders and a secret cliff. What, like Aladdin? And a pact between frontiersmen to keep it safe so that their heirs could reap its wealth should they muster the ability to return after the harsh winter. He would say no more. What? Instead, Beale gave Morris a locked box. In ten years, Beale would send a book and a key to be used in conjunction with the box. He then departed, never to be seen again. I'm sorry, just to catch up, uh, he's not giving him the treasure. He's just saying, like, I'm going to come back for this. He said, I found a cave of wonders. Here's a box, a locked box. In ten years, I will send you a key and a book to be used with this box, should I not return. He never returned, Hmm. but... After a decade passed, Morris never received a key or a book. Curiosity finally got the better of Morris, and he decided to break open the lockbox to reveal its contents. Inside were three leaves of paper. They were covered in strange codes and ciphers, impossible to decrypt or understand. The first were labeled as directions to the cave. The second was an exact description of the contents of the cave. This is great. This is the best puzzle map ever. And then paper number three gives the names in the Thomas J. Beale party, the names and addresses of their heirs who are to receive the respective shares of the Beale treasure should Thomas J. Beale or an authorized person never return to claim the locked box. So what was his game plan? Like, if I know I'm going to die and I'm going to get back, I'll at least send it to you, random person, to do this for me. Yes. So, Morris spent years trying to decipher the letters, but he was only ever able to decode the second letter, which described the contents of the treasure. He did this by trial and error. This was accomplished by consecutively numbering the words in the Declaration of Independence. What? And and substituting the first letter of each word for the corresponding number in the Beale cipher number two. This only worked for the second letter. How was he able to figure this out? Why why use the Declaration of Independence as a cipher? Because Mr. Thomas J. Beale once revealed his middle name was Jefferson. As in Thomas Jefferson Beale. Wait, 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 wait. Thomas Jefferson was a treasure hunter. 
I don't know if is what you're telling. I think me. the implication is that he used the Declaration of Independence because he was named after Thomas Jefferson. Okay, I thought you were saying that somehow he was like alive no. at this time and was just a treasure hunter. Yeah, no. Let's start figuring out what would be the other three. What would be the other two things that you would use for for cyber bases? So you have Declaration of Independence. What is also comparable and is equally as important? Um, uh, Johnny Bill B- of Rights. Bill of Rights. Uh, the lyrics to Johnny B. Good. <laughs> <laughs> that one song, Let the Freedom Soar. Uh, the back of ingredients for a Campbell's soup can. What else is like most Americana? Always thing? drink your Ovaltine. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. What that? That's so crazy. So what was in the treasure? What so was- he decode the, the one he was able to decode basically said that he had vast stores of gold and silver, millions of dollars worth, $17,000 worth of gems and jewelry, and heirlooms and artifacts beyond measure were to be found in this cave they had hidden. I like that he makes this really ciphered document, which is clearly supposed to be a, like, no one should be able to read this unless they're really, really important. And he's still just kind of vague. Like, really cool stuff. <laughs> Not like 20-pound yeah. t- gold, five red red gems. It's just like, so dope. So a lot of people... <laughs> it's really dope, dog. Dope stuff. So a lot of people are speculating that the book that would have come with the key would have been the cipher to uncode the other letters that were never uncoded. Sure. The facts that people have been able to uncover of where this money came from and what the hell it was, was that apparently in 1817, three years earlier, Thomas J. Beale had come with a company of 30 men for the purpose of visiting the Great Western Plains to hunt buffalo and other game. And they found a cool treasure and cave? They, yeah, they were following a large herd of bison, and then one of the men discovered a cleft in the rocks that showed something that appeared to be gold. It was and bison they, treasure. They found a gold mine, and then they just spent the, several years mining all this gold in secret, but never had a chance to really do it. Meanwhile, anything. telling their bosses, yeah, we're not finding anything out here. Just like some bison. Well, Thomas J. Beale was the boss. Oh, the so he doesn't report to anyone. They were so afraid of someone else finding it that they hid it in a cave, and then it turned out that that cave was used by farmers to store their vegetables, so they, they put it in this other secret place that was known to a select few. Uh, Where is this being revealed? They're like, oh yeah, well, farmers just came into the cave. That's just we, what we had to kill them. That's what other people found. Okay, okay. And so that, so this, the the new location of the treasure that supposedly existed was only known to a select few. Thomas J. Beale being the sole guy who knew. He killed the rest of those people, right? Oh yeah, it was probably a tontine. Oh my god, tontines are the best. I want to do a tontine so. So, so bad. somewhere, Genie's Aladdin is just sitting in some oh pioneer god. cave. So no one's ever been able to figure out at all where the cave would be. No, because it's the ciphers that are based on a random book, like a specific edition of a book, are almost impossible to solve without the codec. That's you right, because you need to be able to reference every book. word, right? It's like every yes. number. And there's millions of books, obviously. But who knows? But supposedly it, it amounts to about $63 million that are hidden somewhere in Bedford County, Virginia. And that's the value of Virginia. You could buy Virginia for that. <laughs> you could have bought yeah. the state. You could buy it now. <laughs> yeah, who cares about Virginia, really? That's great. So what happened to, I mean, who has these? They're uh, just in that guy's, like, personal, like, estate, these just letters. Just stares at them like, fuck. Yeah, just weird, cryptic letters in this guy's estate. Oh, God, I hope there's, like, a genie lamp in there. There's a genie lamp. He's like, hey, who, let me out. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> as soon as you started doing it's like, no, Aaron, I can't handle Robin Williams' I'm, impression. I'm sad. You can't bring back from the dead. That's one back. of the three rules. Yeah, three rules. Oh, oh. God. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> anyway, so that, that, was, that was the hidden genie somewhere in Virginia. <laughs> I have a, a bunch of, like, really rapid fire. Sure, hit me, hit me, hit me some, some ones. small ones. Butch Cassidy's $20,000 stash. You know the story of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, the whole mm-hmm. wall gang. They started a movie movie screening. 
Yeah, there was a, well, it was a yes. Robert Redford is the assumed name of Butch Cassidy mm-hmm. after he, Sundance Festival. He used the money from his raids to found a, an indie festival in Utah. But Butch Cassidy is arguably one of the most notable outlaws of the Wild West. He was such an outlaw that he even formed an outlaw group called the Wild Bunch to travel with him, robbing whoever they felt like. Uh, because, I feel like they're trying too hard with that name, by the way. The Wild Bunch. Yeah. Or the Wild Bunch. Wild Bunch is like a 70s dance crew. Wild! But at one point, the law was hot on their trail, and Cassidy and the Wild Bunch, after robbing a bank or something, uh, were forced to ditch $20,000 worth of loot somewhere in Irish Canyon, located in the northwest part of Colorado in Moffat County. So somewhere in this canyon, there's like $20,000 worth of, of gold. And we know this is because money. the next city they were in, they just didn't have it. Like, yeah, yeah and, and the gang were like, yeah, we had to just ditch it and we'll come back for it. And then he was killed before he could come back. Okay. So that's around there somewhere. There's no real clues other than that it's in this canyon and to bring a good metal detector. Okay. Like, that's it. All right, what else? Give us, give us another one. Uh, John Dillinger's Buried Treasure. Mm-hmm. Dillinger's Gay Plan. You may have heard of John Dillinger. He was sort of like a, a folk hero to people from Indiana because he was like our outlaw. <laughs> we needed one. He was most famous, I think, for he was on the lam, just like, you know, Bonnie and Clyde, yeah, except yeah, yeah. he was just an outlaw. Uh, I think he's most famous for, at one point, escaping a jail with a gun that he ma- carved out of soap. Yeah, he it was that sort of like, no one seems to be able to prove how that would be a thing other than he just tricked well, everyone to thinking it was a gun. Yeah, and I've seen the gun. I, there's a John Dillinger Museum really close, close to where I grew up, and they had one of the... He, I think he did it two or three times, and they had one of his and soap going, guns. How is he, how is he making, bringing these guns in here? <laughs> he's so good at it. Yeah. Bang, bang. Get out of here. So, so he escaped, but what was his treasure? So he was hiding out with a few of his outlaw buddies in April of 1934. FBI agents found out they were hiding in the Little Bohemia Lodge in Mercer, Wisconsin, which I've been to, actually. And they surrounded Dillinger along with Babyface Nelson and the other men. The FBI shot the first three men walking out of the door, all three of whom happened to be civilians. <laughs> Oops. Uh, Oops. Sorry about that, guys. FBI here. Sorry about that. Yeah. Amid all the confusion, the gangsters were able to escape out a back entrance uh, and said that Dillinger ran a few hundred meters, or yards, North of the roadhouse, where he buried $200,000 in small bills inside a suitcase. Just two months later, Dillinger was shot to get death in Chicago, never to get the chance to go back and find the money. How, how has that not been found? That's like the size of a building, right? It's, well, I bet it's like the end of the money pit, where they find the, the mobster money, and then it's just mush, because it's so old. Or people just keep coming in and, like, killing you as you find it, and then yeah. someone keeps coming in and killing Man. you. Like, yeah. Respect the dead! There's, like, Man. a continual, just long passing down of shooting someone as they come in and find like, the money. hey, stay away from John Dillard's money, and they see? Shoot him, and they shoot him, next guy goes against the money, another guy walks in and just keeps shooting him, and then, like, <laughs> there's just a pile of bodies over at this point. Yeah. So this is one that's maybe a little longer, but what if I were to tell you (laughs) that El Dorado was actually a MacGuffin and that there really was a lost city of gold in South America? How would El Dorado be the MacGuffin, though? I mean, like, it's, it's, it's real, you're saying. It's real, but it was not called El Dorado and and actually was created because of El Dorado. Come on, go on. Okay, so most people have heard the story of El Dorado, a city full of gold lost somewhere in the rainforest of South America. Elton John wrote some music about yeah. it. In fact, El Dorado it was a legend about a Musica chieftain 
which translates to the Golden One, who would cover himself with gold dust before certain religious ceremonies. But the conquistadors misinterpreted that as, oh, there's a there's a golden city somewhere, and we have to go find this golden city. So the Incas, being a smart lot, realized, oh shit, they're going to kill us uh, if they find our gold. So all of the Incan Empire, notoriously, the conquistadors kept scouring and raising the Incan Empire and finding no gold. We're like, bah, where's yeah, the gold? Like, no, let me explain it to you. There's a guy who has gold paint. Just stabbed yeah. it. So this theory goes that actually they did have gold, not like a city made of gold, but they had little amounts of gold to use for ceremonial purposes. And in order to save the gold that these conquistadors wanted, they took it all to a secret city mm-hmm. somewhere in the Amazon and stored it all there. And so they, they basically created a city of gold in order to keep it safe from the conquistadors. I thought you were about to say that they just painted the city gold with no. like like bug paste and stuff. No, it was basically it ink and crowdfunding. They, they put it in a big bank. They put it in one safe spot, which yeah. is probably the worst idea, honestly. But nobody ever found it. And it's now known as the lost city of El Paititi, where... <laughs> Please say that over and over again. Paititi. <laughs> In brief, the Spanish have been at war with the Incas for nearly 40 years, and they retreated to the Vilcabamba Valley, where they held off invaders until 1572. And the new city was never found, nor was the gold, but eventually the story was relegated to the status of a myth. However, Mm -hmm. in 2009, approximately where Paititi was thought to be, in recently deforested areas of the Boco de Acre region of Brazil... They revealed there once were vast settlements that had since been broken down and redispersed somewhere else by the Inca Empire. They would have taken the gold and then moved Yeah, they moved places. it there. So there, there was a period of, who knows, maybe 80 years, 100 years, where there was a vast golden secret city. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh shit, we should probably move this back now that the conquistadors are... It's also very bright and shiny. The sun, sun yeah. oh, too, too bright. So they can clearly be seen by Google Earth, and now the historians have to be like, oh, maybe that lost city of Taipiti was real. And uh, Sorry, you're saying you can see the new settlements. You can Google. see where a settlement, right where the legend said there was a vast city, but like it was never found, actually was there once all of the loggers came in and cut down all the trees. You know, the biggest sad part is is that they did all of this like moving theoretically to save their gold. Didn't keep any didn't of them, help them. Didn't help them all. They all just got murdered. Like nope. maybe you should have given them the gold and just like be like, get on, get on, on your way, please. Yeah. We are- so it's thought that artifacts, ink and gold, gold bars, jewelry value of up to about $10 billion by today's standards may have once been held there. So that gold somewhere, or we just plundered it already? And I think it was probably redispersed and sold and who God knows what. This is my question for all of these stories you said is, what is the likelihood that these treasures existed, right? And that all of them that did, or any of them that did, people found them just never told anyone, right? The, the, the oh, odds are is that most likely if you find this treasure, you have no reason to ever come public with it. The only way you're like going to get discovered is if people are like, yeah, you know how Jim went to like Arkansas for a nice like week of camping. Now he came back and he like bought our company. Like that's weird. And then you would start to investigate and find out maybe Jim found a treasure. Otherwise, right? I think at this point it's pretty safe to say that if we found anything, even not in like the normal American territory, the government would somehow come and claim it. This is not an anti-government claim. True. Just like, but no, like it's entirely possible that these things are found and then a guy who just supposedly made his millions elsewhere just found them all you have no reason to share your treasure with the public unless you think it belongs in a museum like indiana jones well interesting you should say that because this next story kind of ties in with that okay and this is about the lost crown jewels of king john 
Okay, I've heard. I've been looking for those. <laughs> so, King John the Bad, <laughs> probably best known for being wearing a leather jacket. He wore a leather jacket and constantly went a and punched uh, <laughs> music jukeboxes. Uh, probably best known for being such a dickhead to his people that they rose up against him and forced him to sign the Magna Carta, thus humiliating him and stripping him of supreme power over the people. Uh, was particularly fond of collecting, aka stealing, jewelry and gold plate for himself and coinage for his guards, soldiers, and court followers. I, I believe it says in the textbook, dope rubies. I believe it and says he loved rubies. dope rubies. So anyway, John the Bad had this vast store of ill-gotten gains, but apparently this hoard soon met an untimely fate of its own. In 1216, King John was traveling to Bishop's Lynn in Norfolk in England, where he arrived on the 9th of October. The area is aptly named for the Wash, as it, it is a huge expanse of marshes and dangerous mudflats, and the road can only be traveled in low tide. During, during high tide, water from the ocean just rushes in and covers over the land. This really sounds like a Game of Thrones territory. Feels Kinda. like right at home, yeah. Yeah, it, but I, he literally had the moniker of the bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The so, bad. They, they weren't even, like, smart with his name. Yeah, so the king himself, as he was just, like, growing around pillaging shit, he kind of took a side route, but then he had his his money train, his caravan, take this marsh route. Uh, however, his soldiers and carts full of personal possessions and crown jewels and jewelry that he inherited from his grandmother and the Empress of Germany, they took the shorter route through the marshes because they were traveling slower, but... The incoming low tide that covered the route oh, of the no. wash proved to be too much water too fast and for the slow entourage, and many of the wagons, including the crown jewels, were drowned. So you know there was a point in time where they're like, we should get out of here. He's like, no. Like, and just, he basically just whipped yeah, everything. Yeah, I like that they just, it. like, the you know, there's this slow wagon train. It's like, oh, the tide's out there for a while. We'll be yeah, fine. And just, and you just have like, nine oh, no. hours of slow oh, no, it's coming. tide. Here like, it comes. Faster, faster. <laughs> and then it's just like, oh, oh. We kind of find the jewels. Oh, <laughs> man. Paranoia Shop. We're so good at accents and impressions. We're really good Crown at jewels. them. We're really good at them. So, well, we'll go so faster, a little anyone, faster. Did anyone die, or was it like everyone got out, but the treasure was people drowned. People died in that baggage train in a slow, in a slow, slowly incoming tide. Yeah, <laughs> just trying to run away. How do you die from a tide? Like you get swept out, I guess. But you just keep continually like walking like, inland. Maybe it was like a Titanic thing, where the, you know, like they were like. Oh, if I, if I let these little baggage claim with all the crown jewels go under, I'll surely be decapitated. I better just try to get it out of here. And then slowly, his, the water's around his just ankles. Sick. Then yeah. around his waist. Oh, like, maybe like, just oh, a little I'm, faster. I'm so sorry I didn't do as good of a job. And just his, as his head goes like, underneath the low tide. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. That would be great. So... Supposedly, what really happened might be much more complex. Some people suspect that it, this was actually a ruse and that uh, King John left his jewels uh, in order to bribe someone to have safe passage. So you're saying he gave up the jewels and when then, he left. And then he sacrificed all these men in a marsh in order to cover up <laughs> them being lost. That's one theory. I'm now imagining him doing it like he has still loyal followers and it's like that scene from The Dark Knight Rises where Bane, like, we're there in the plane and Bane, like, tells that one guy, like, no, brother, they need some of us in the wreckage. And just, like, the fire rises. And it's, <laughs> but it's just, like, John the Bad just, like, galloping on a horse. like his, The fire rises. Is <laughs> they all just, like, lay down in the tide. In the tide. Just, like, slowly you, wash over You know what they don't? It, yeah, it's called the wash. They drown him. 
So that's one theory. Another theory is that all these crown jewels were just lost in this marsh somewhere, and people have constantly tried to look for it. But if the treasure is really buried somewhere near modern-day Sutton Bridge, by now it would be covered by 20 feet or more of silt. So we can put, all put our metal detectors away, but that hasn't stopped people from looking. All the way through the 1930s, a group of American treasure hunters paid local farmers acre by acre for their help in looking for jewels at Walpole Island. Uh, most recently, a team from Nottingham University took soil samples to try to discover where the causeway of the wagon might have been. Oh, the search goes on, but they never found anything. So, there's one last theory. Speaking of, oh, maybe just a, a wealthy person just kind of came along and found it and became, you know, some baron somewhere. In the 14th century, it was commonly rumored that this guy named Robert, Lord Tiptoft. <laughs> Sorry. Robert Lord Tiptoft. Lord Tiptoft had salvaged the treasure and then set himself up as a wealthy man in the North Country on the proceeds. According to the East Anglican folklorist W.A. Dutt, local legend in the Sutton area talks of King John's Hole, a pool where the jewels were hidden either by John himself for some nefarious purpose or by those who recovered them after the disaster of the wash. The pool is said to be on the southern side of King's Lynn to Long Sutton Road. But it's possible that this booty hidden in the hole had been discovered by the third Lord Tiptoft, who suddenly became immensely wealthy and there's suddenly had a bunch of money. There's apparently no Just... apparent source for his sudden affluence, and rumors spread that Tiptoft had discovered King John's treasure. Right, and you wouldn't say, because at that point there'd be some ruling body that says that's our jewels, right? Like it'd either be Yeah, I mean he may have melted them down for their gold and jewels, but at at that age Literally, there weren't really reliable banks, so a lot of wealthy people would just, they would just take these jewels and put them in, like, a safe and they say, I got these that, jewels. They should show that in any movie where there's, like, a treasure with a bunch of gold or jewels, especially in the modern day stories, of, like, the long, laborious process of them just taking it to jewelers and having them evaluate and, like, <laughs> okay, so That's I guess we, all right, so we can sell this ruby at, like, you know, uh, $100 uh, an ounce. It's uh, very valuable. I've just seen, like, for a year, the, them slowly, like, selling it off to try to get the best bang for their buck. Yeah. So apparently those have never been officially recovered, and they were worth about $70 million, hmm. just lost in some marsh. The way you need to, think, ultras need to have some sort of discernible mark, right? Like, you need all of your gold coins to have a special stamp, kind of helping things. Obviously you can smelt stuff down, but like, rubies are hard to, to do that too, right? They're, yeah. like, kind of, they're always still going to be in someone's ring or crown. Or yeah, like, they're just jewels. Just jewels. Again worthless this is all worthless it's, it's all just worthless. shiny rocks they're, they're blood gems in assassin's creed i get it that is a cool alien artifact that lets you dodge bullets everything else most of these treasures there's not like like the holy grail you get right the holy grail yeah. is uh presumably god then loves you and you get to be immortal or whatever most of these treasures again men dying over shiny rocks yep and that are intrinsically worthless or you think like you could find like essentially you could find like a like cash like an old stash of cash at some point, someone will have like a legend of, oh, the uh, the great 1980s Coke treasure stash of <laughs> hundred years. Twenty million, twenty million dollars was put away in a safe, and we haven't been able to find it in one of these buildings. But at that point in time, like the dollar bill won't be accepted anymore. Can you imagine that? Just be worthless in, like, in the year 
2500 AD when mo- money itself no longer works and it's only like credits bugs. or it'll be like in time somehow that terrible sci-fi movie in time yeah. is like the actual future so there's the- just this story of some in 1981 a man buried a thousand towns tons of cocaine yeah and then I'm like eh, okay I guess like we can we gotta just, find that cocaine we can just make synthetic cocaine now it's better it's than hidden there. somewhere in Colombia yeah yeah like all right we got it we got it. we don't need it <laughs> Well, speaking of ancient treasure, though, mm-hmm. this is probably the oldest treasure that I found that wasn't purely mythological. Okay. This is called the Treasure of the Copper Scrolls. That is definitely a story from Legends of the Hidden Temple. Absolutely. Olmec. Imagine Olmec. this is an Olmec's voice. You you walk down the front steps and <laughs> <laughs> past the temple guards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, those are putties. No, those are putties. Uh, <clears throat> located to the west of the northern tip of the Dead Sea... And near the town of Kalia is the Qumran archaeological site, a desert plateau carved by ravines in the caves where the famous Dead Sea Scrolls were initially discovered by Bedouin in 1946. However, in the same valley near where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, a later excavation of 11 caves by archaeologists sponsored by the Jordanian Department of Antiquities uncovered 972 parchment and papyrus texts, and two of these were unusual scrolls made of copper. Hmm. These would turn out to be one scroll that had been divided into two pieces. So it was one magic scroll. So is it an actual scroll or is it just like a tablet? It was a a copper tablet that was paper thin. The rare find was discovered on the 14th of 1952 in the back of Cave 3, somewhat separate from the other finds. My favorite cave. The scroll was badly oxidized and fragile to touch, but it was obvious that it was different from the other leather and paper scrolls because it has a detailed list of 64 locations where significant amounts of gold and silver had been hidden. Oh, that's awesome. It was written as if anyone reading it would have been familiar with the places mentioned, hence believed to have been created between 110 and 30 BC. What, what was found was believed by many to be the secret treasure caches of, of, the fabled, Christ. of the fabled Temple of Solomon. So close. Whoa. It was King Solomon's diamond mines. You remember those? Bible treasure. It was Bible treasure map. That's pretty cool. Although many historians believe that some of the treasure may have been found by Roman legions during their occupation of the Middle East, it's reasonable to think that at least some of these locations were never revealed. So where are those locations? Why are we not going there? Well, the problem is a lot of the waypoints that they mention casually... They don't. Like, oh, they're nobody like points, calls them they're like, they're like points of reference. Just like, like go by Eagles Rock. Oh, okay. It's like what? Were the, oh, those are the best treasure maps, though. We had to like hold hold up this weird parchment to three holes and see if it lines up with a mountain ridge. So here's here's an example of the, some of the stuff that was written on this copper tablet. Okay. Just to show you how cryptic, but also in tantalizing it is. Mm-hmm. Item three in the funeral shrine in the third row of stones, one hundred gold ingots. Item five in the ascent of the staircase of refuge. To the left-hand side, three cubits up from the floor are 40 talents of silver. Item 32, in the cave that is next to unknown, they didn't know what it was, and belonging to the house of Hakaz, dig six cubits within our six ingots of what? gold. What? They're just spreading out everywhere. Why are we not doing this with our own money? I don't know, but the total to worth of the treasure is thought to be in the vicinity of $1.2 billion. That's really cool. And Jesus Christ may have used it to build a flying machine. <laughs> To pay off all the guards and make it seem like he came back from the dead. So what are we learning here as far as for future treasures? There will be some version of this in the future. Who knows what is valuable, right? If we yeah. were going to make a treasure, what should we... All right, put it in something that is completely like a fireproof safe, right? <laughs> 
I think it would have to be in some sort of airtight, temperature-controlled stone something. You essentially need to put it in, like, uh, the foundation of a famous building. Yeah. Right? That's the only, like... Because the main problem is you need to keep it safe, you need to keep it stored, where, like, the elements are in no way getting elements. But also, the main problem with most of these treasures is the point of reference is always lost. Right. Right? Either the codex or the even just the, like, reference point is... You can't find it. Even for the people you might want to pass it on to, it's been washed away. So you need it to be, like... Something that'll be around for presumably ever, or you can always find those points. So it needs to be like the Empire State Building or like Oprah's house. That <laughs> kind of thing. Something that will last. Like, something the ages. that'll always be tracked so you can always like use GPS coordinates to find that spot. Right? <laughs> Oprah's house. Oprah's house will stay Oprah's forever. House. Oh yeah, when Oprah's dead, that's gonna be like the new Graceland, right? You're assuming Oprah will die. That's true. She's she gonna, may she's be gonna an immortal. She's gonna figure it out. She's just been slowly draining Stefan or whatever his name is, life essence, just like from him. <laughs> Stefan. What's his name? Oh, uh. Stedman. 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 That's why we've never seen Stedman for 20 years. <laughs> he's just a husband. Her husband. Yeah, he just, she, comes in every, she comes in every night and just like slowly touches his head, just drains another like week of energy from him. <laughs> By the time everyone forgets about you, I'll find another. Like that kind of just like. I shall find another. Yeah, just draining him. So you need that. Uh, and you, you need clues. And you also need the treasure to be it's some, and turned into something that will be valuable forever because the world changes. So gold coins, I guess we can still say like gold and silver, that sort of thing. It shouldn't even be like just a pretty stone. It needs to be like, what? What is the most, you almost need to be like, like secrets or like. I think it would have to be something that will last forever, like human worth. <laughs> Like a poem about how to find happiness. Yeah, that's what it is. That sounds way better. It's, it's a picture of a puppy climbing out of a barrel, and that's always going to be valuable. And in the future, after puppies are extinct, and all documentation of them existing has been erased from the planet, that would be the most valuable thing this in the is, world. This is joking, but I really start to think that, really, in some ways, treasure that might be more valuable is, like, just art. Could be. Like, like rare paintings, presumably, will be until society collapses. I mean, at this point, that's, like, stuff that has a historical significance becomes way more valuable than what it originally was. Like, like, Dr. Dre's album that hasn't come out yet, or like... Right, or like Superman's Action Comics number one, 50 cents when it came out. Yeah, one of those, yeah. But now, it's worth, like, three million dollars, because people value it. Somehow that seems a better treasure to hide than, say, like... 20 giant gold bars. Like, the original HD laser discs of the original Star Wars trilogy without him changing stuff. That Those George, are already getting That George Lucas said he destroyed when he made yeah. the new, like, remastered trilogy. That would be a huge treasure. That would be super valuable. And the irony is because he borrowed so heavily from, like, Man of a Thousand Faces and the Monomyth, that will become our, like, legendary myth. Let's go find it. That'll be, like, our Beowulf a thousand Let's go years find from it. now. Is fucking Star Wars. That's amazing. Well, I think that about wraps it up for Hidden Treasures. If you guys have any ones that we missed or any really, really great ones, please let us know. Um, you can always uh, send in cool suggestions to us. We do have the Gmail we've already mentioned, uh, Paranoia Shop, S-H-O-P-P-E, at gmail.com. We're on Twitter. Tweet at, us. Yeah, at Paranoia Shop. Uh, or tweet us directly, at Good Aaron. Or at Quantum Theory, uh, Q-U-A-N-D-T-U-M Theory. 
Also, check out uh, our websites, paranoiashop.com. Mm-hmm. Or and you can check out the other uh, podcasts in our little friend network, uh, Explosive Magico. Go to explosivemagico.com. Yeah. I think we're on one of the new episodes that's uh, coming out. Yeah, it's a premium episode, I think. There's a, a little tiny shop if you wanted to check explosomagico.com. And again, thank you for everyone else who reaches out to us. It's been great. I'm sorry to leave you guys uh, hanging for a little bit while we reinvent our lives and become more adults. <laughs> yes. But uh, all of your feedback has been super great. Yes, we love it. We, we're glad you guys are enjoying the stuff. And yeah, we're not going to stop anytime soon. We're just going to keep making stuff when we can. So enjoy. Uh, Aaron, do you have anything you want to leave us with? I do. There is one really, I think, is pretty funny treasure, and that's the lost Fabergé eggs. <laughs> okay. I, are you familiar with Fabergé? Uh, yeah, they're based from Russia, correct? Yes, they're just they're just valuable eggs. Very ornate eggs, is like don't you know decorated in diamonds, right? Just like it's a bunch of valuable stones just happen to be around an egg. Exactly. Well, not, it's, not it's, actual eggs, right? It's not like an egg that they built diamonds around. It's yeah. Just, so Peter Carl Fabergé, also known as Carl Gustavich Fabergé, and his brother Agathon were Russian jewelers. Also known as the weirdest guys in Russia. <laughs> that uh, became famous for their extraordinary quality and beauty of their work. And in 1885, Tsar Alexander III of the House of Romanov commissioned the production of the golden enamel hen egg for his wife, the Empress Maria, which she adored. And over the next 33 years, 52 eggs were made for the Russian royal family, as well as a further 15 for private buyers. Where they're just like sitting on their mantle places, right? Yeah. They weren't like doing anything with it. They're just like, ah, that's really Really nice. So it's just like these magic little eggs it's covered like in gems. It's like precious moments figurines made for you. It that's worked. All, that's all it was. It's like fancy little diamond eggs. So everybody loved these eggs. Like, I love these eggs! And then in 19- <laughs> They're just sitting around the dinner table. These eggs are the best! Look at this egg. Oh, oh hot potato! Is, oh, oh red, red egg. Oh, blue egg. The- but then in 1917, the Russian Revolution toppled Tsar Nicholas II, who was executed along with much of the royal family in 1918. Fearing for his safety... Fabergé abandoned Russia, traveling to Latvia, where he finally died in 1920. But the eggs and many other treasures of the royal family were confiscated, and some disappeared. Some were sold to raise funds for the new regime, but over time, eight of the original 52 eggs have vanished, and the whereabouts remain a mystery to this very egg. Egg. <laughs> this very yep, day. Keep that. That's good. Just one egg, the Rothschild egg, was sold at Christie's Auction House for $8.9 million. It's just a dumb So here's a list to, to close us out. Egg. Here's just, I'm going to read off the name of these missing eggs. Oh, there's, they all have like names. They all have to them. Magic, okay. ma- magic names. But here's the, the egg names. 1886, the hen egg with sapphire pendant. 1888, the cherub with chariot egg. Mm-hmm. 1889, the necessaire egg. Mm. 1896, the egg with Alexander III's portraits. <laughs> 1897, the mauve egg. The just just like a like a brownish red. Brown egg. egg. Oh. In 1902, the Empire Nefriti egg. Okay. 1903, the Royal Danish Jubilee egg. Oh. And 1909, the Alexander III commemorative egg, just like the China where the like commemorative space plates you get to, <laughs> to memorize like 20 years of Alf on TV. So these magic eggs worth about 150 million dollars each, or in total. Total. Those are the only ones we can't find. Yep. Those are the only ones we found. So there you go, paranoia sh- shoppers. Go find those magic eggs and be wealthy. Good, or just keep them on your mantle place and tell no one about it. And as you just drink your coffee in the morning, you look and go, definitely worth it. A magic egg a day really? keeps a man healthy, wealthy, and fabulously wealthy. And they're probably magic. <laughs> All right, probably magic. thanks for listening. Hatch your wealth. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> 
Explosimagico podcast production. For more information, please visit explosimagico.com.